You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. The scripture for today is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 20, verses 17 through 38. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the world of his word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown that you, that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of God. You may be seated. (coughs) 
Let's pray together. Father, we need the living and active Word of God to pierce our souls this morning, to affect us in the deepest part of who we are. We want to be shaped, formed, fashioned by the Word of God. We want our thinking to be biblical thinking. We want our affections to be holy affections. And so we, we need to hear from you. Holy Spirit, would you serve each of us by clearing away all unnecessary distractions and giving us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Regarding pastoral ministry, several months ago I stumbled upon the following quote. The word shepherd needs to go away. Jesus talked about shepherds because there was one over there in a pasture that he could point to. But to bring in that imagery today and say, Pastor, you're a shepherd of the flock. No. I've never seen a flock. I've never spent five minutes with a shepherd. It was culturally relevant in the time of Jesus, but it's not culturally relevant anymore. Now, I hope that you find that quote both entirely unbiblical and exceedingly unhelpful. And if you don't, I hope that you will by the end of this morning's sermon. Friends, some of you have personally experienced this, and if you haven't, just, just look around and you will see it. You will see a relentless movement toward redefining what a pastor is and what a pastor does. Instead of a loving shepherd, a pastor should be a skilled entrepreneur. Instead of a mouthpiece for God's word, a pastor should leverage his gifts and personality to build his platform. Instead of personal holiness, a pastor should be publicly impressive. Instead of humble and gracious, a pastor should be brash and edgy. Brothers and sisters, any movement, any movement away from a biblical understanding of what a pastor is and what a pastor does is a movement away from God's gracious and loving plan to genuinely care for his children. I mentioned last week that the theme of Acts chapter 20 from beginning to end is this. God loves and therefore relentlessly encourages his people. And he does this in a variety of ways. We saw this last week. God encourages his people through meaningful relationships. That's verses 1 through 6 of chapter 20. God encourages his people through corporate worship, verse 7. God encourages his people through miraculous intervention sometimes. That's verses 8 through 12. 
God encourages his people through radical generosity. That's verses 13 through 16. The whole reason Paul was traveling to Jerusalem was to deliver an offering to the struggling believers there. This was an offering given by members of the churches he's been visiting. All churches made up of new believers. The final means of encouragement we find in this chapter is where we'll spend all of our time this morning. God encourages his people through godly leadership. God encourages his people through godly leadership. This is what we find in verses 17 through 38. Within this extended and beautiful portrait of encouragement is another smaller portrait, a a portrait of a pastor. You'll notice this morning that I'll use the terms pastor and elder interchangeably. That's because scripture does as well. Don't be thrown off by that. Brothers and sisters, this text will help us avoid the great danger of attempting to define the office of a pastor or an elder by any other means than by Scripture alone. Our text makes it clear that a gifted and qualified pastor, as God defines him, is a good gift from his hand. So again, to reject Scripture's teaching on what a pastor is and what a pastor does is is actually to reject God's kindness. Let me give you this morning six characteristics of a pastor according to God's authoritative word. You will see quickly that everything we encounter here in Acts 20 is in complete harmony with texts like 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and 1 Peter 5. But let me warn you, the characteristics I will share are not simply for pastors and elders, but these traits in some ways should be the goal and aim of every believer. So there is something here for all of us. The other caveat I need to add as we begin is this. Please, please, please don't hear me describing these characteristics as though I or your other elders have already attained them perfectly. In fact, in fact, a text like this can be very difficult to preach because it's so convicting. I long for greater growth in each and every one of the areas I will share this morning. So as I studied this week, my shortcomings and failures were plainly evident to me. But even so, let us look to God's word for instruction. Characteristic number one, a godly pastor is a humble servant. A godly pastor is a humble servant. Look again at verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. I want you to see how Paul's humble 
service was displayed. And again, this should be true to some degree of all elders. First, notice that Paul was known by the people he was serving. He was known by the people he was serving. In this case, the elders of the Ephesian church. You don't get the idea that Paul tried to hide his weaknesses, that he guarded himself, making sure people only ever saw him at his strongest and his best. Uh, No, friends, look at the text. Paul didn't cloister himself away. He was known. He says, I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. And then he makes it crystal clear just how accessible and open he was. These men saw Paul at his most vulnerable when serving the Lord Jesus was intensely difficult, so difficult that it brought him to tears. Brothers and sisters, a godly pastor is not some sort of superhuman servant of God who walks through life and ministry unaffected by difficulty and opposition. A godly pastor battles fear when opposition comes. In difficulty, he often weeps. Sometimes from exhaustion and other times because of desperation. The Ephesian elders had a front row seat as they watched Paul ride the emotional roller coaster of serving Jesus as a leader in the early church. I want you to notice a particular phrase in verse 19. I want you to notice it because I think this is a key to this first point. Look how verse 19 begins. Serving the Lord with all humility. An elder is someone whose primary calling is to serve. It is first to serve the Lord Jesus and then to serve his people. Now, please remember this this calling comes with the promise of sufficient and sustaining grace. This is why Paul says when he is writing to the Colossians, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. In humility, an elder serves Christ and his people in times of weakness and strength, in times of joy and sorrow, in times of weeping and rejoicing. A godly pastor is known by the people God has called him to serve. Now, Redeemer family, as important as it is for elders to be known by the people they serve, it is also important for those same people to be willing to be known by their elders. One of the most heartbreaking realities of pastoral ministry is when you find out about a church member that was deeply hurting or feeling isolated and discouraged, and yet they never let anyone know. As I've said before, remember that your elders are not omniscient. Let us know when you're hurting. Our desire is to serve. 
if a church is truly to become a faith family, then it requires elders who are willing to be known by the people, and it requires people who are willing to be known by their elders, which means what? Well, it means that everybody has to be a little vulnerable. Everybody has to take a risk. But friends, this is where we find grace. Vulnerability and risk requires humility, which is perfect because God gives grace to the humble. Characteristic number two, a godly pastor is a bold witness. A godly pastor is a bold witness. Verses 20 through 23, look at those again with me. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. A godly pastor must embrace his fundamental spiritual identity as a sinner saved by grace, and then set apart for the ministry of the gospel. Paul expresses this so well in the opening sentence of his greeting to the believers in Rome, where he says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. You see, friends, a pastor will shrink back. A pastor will shrink back from declaring certain parts of Scripture And he will fail in his public witness. And he will make excuses why he can't personally spend time with members. He will fall short in these ways and many more if he ever forgets that he is fundamentally a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be a pastor, set apart for the gospel of God. As a pastor... If my sense of meaning, worth, and value comes from some sense of popularity, if I begin to crave the idol of affirmation, then I will only tell people what they want to hear. I will only interact with people that tell me what I want to hear. And here's the most frightening part. I will ultimately begin to twist the gospel into something more accommodating for people that like to feel good about themselves. Now in doing that, I will probably avoid things like affliction and imprisonment. But along the way, the overwhelming result of my Ministry will be people who think they're good with God when in reality they remain objects of his wrath. Brothers and sisters, the kind of bold and courageous ministry outlined in verses 20 through 23 is only possible 
when a pastor's identity is firmly rooted in Christ, when his sense of meaning, worth, and value does not come from the affirmation of people, but from his sweet communion with God. As the Holy Spirit strengthens and sustains him and assures him that he belongs to Jesus, And that the greatest reward for pastoral ministry is not worldly acclaim, but it is heavenly approval. This concept of identity continues as we move into the third characteristic of a godly pastor. A godly pastor is a selfless disciple. Godly pastor is a selfless disciple. Look at verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. A pastor is one whom God has called to live selflessly, so much so that Paul talks about his life having no value to himself. What does this mean? Well, it simply means that Paul wants to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. It's not that Paul is devaluing life. He believes in the sanctity of life. But he understands that his life is a gift. It's a gift to be spent for the glory of God and the benefit of others. So it's in this sense that he doesn't account his life of any value. He's willing to lose his life for the sake of Christ and his people. I mentioned missionary John G. Patton to you last week. If you remember, I read his beautiful account of serving converted cannibals the Lord's table for the first time. Well, I want you to hear something he said much earlier in his life. As he was preparing to leave Scotland for the New Hebrides Islands, uh, Patton was making the case for taking the gospel to these cannibals in the presence of the leaders of his church. Many of these men still had the memory of two missionaries that were murdered and eaten just 19 years earlier. At one point, a Mr. Dixon yelled out to Patton, The cannibals! You will be eaten by cannibals! Here's how Patton responded. Mr. Dixon You are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. 
Brothers and sisters, a godly pastor is the kind of selfless disciple who says, if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me. Listen to Paul's words again. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The purpose of my life, Paul says, is to fulfill the ministry God has given me. And that ministry is to faithfully declare the gospel. Likewise, friends, a pastor's calling is, is not to offer his opinion. It's not to share his unique insights. It's, it's not to weigh in on every passing controversy. It's not to address all the perceived blind spots and shortcomings of the church throughout history. No, God called Paul, and he calls every elder to testify to the gospel of the grace of God from all the scriptures. And by God's grace, Paul obeyed that, which is why he could say in verse 25, and now behold, I, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about Proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Friends, the chief task of a pastor is to be a good disciple of Jesus. To know his word and to teach it from cover to cover. Characteristic number four, a godly pastor is a loving protector. A godly pastor is a loving protector. We see this in verses 28 through 31. There, there's so much to say here that connects to what we've already talked about, a pastor's identity and primary allegiance is to God it is the Holy Spirit who makes him an overseer. But I want you to think about this idea of an elder as a loving protector. We see this in two ways in verses 28 through 31. First, a, a pastor is called to lovingly protect a congregation from himself. pastor is called to lovingly protect a congregation from himself. Look at verse 28. <clears throat> Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. An elder has been given the care of something Precious to the heart of God. And so he is charged to watch over himself. You see, an elder will care well for a congregation by, by paying careful attention to himself. 
This is what Paul had in mind when he wrote to the young pastor Timothy, urging him to keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. A vibrant spiritual life and a persevering faith will not happen by accident. But it's something that a pastor must cultivate. It requires effort and intentionality. In all of his spiritual activity, a pastor must tend to his own soul. He must feast on Christ and become satisfied with the glories and the excellencies of the Lord Jesus. He must do this for his own good and and for the protection of the flock. Now, brothers and sisters, many of you know this all too well, but there are few things. There are few things that bring as much harm and hurt to the body of Christ as an elder who fails to keep a close watch over himself. It was Richard Baxter who warned pastors. Listen, take heed to yourselves because the tempter will make his first or sharpest onset upon you. If you will be the leaders against him, he will spare you no further than God restrains him He bears you the greatest malice that are engaged in doing him the greatest harm. Take heed, therefore, brothers, for the enemy has a special eye upon you. That's what Paul is saying to these Ephesian elders. A pastor is called to lovingly protect a congregation from himself. But second, he is called to lovingly protect a congregation from others, specifically others who attack the church. Look at verses 29 through 31. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Friends, Paul calls the elders to be alert to attacks from outside the church and from inside. He warns that wolves will try to infiltrate the church with the intent to devour and destroy God's people. But he also warns of another danger. Some who are already in the church will rise up. And they will speak twisted things, or we might say distortions of the truth. And in so doing, this errant leader will entice a group of church members to follow him. I want you to notice something frightening. Look at verse 30 again. How does it begin? Warning about those who will distort the truth and deceive God's people, Paul indicates that this dangerous and divisive leader may very well be one of the elders sitting right in front of him as he speaks. And 
from among your own selves. Brothers and sisters, don't put your hope in any pastor. Stay closely tethered to the word of God and place your hope entirely in the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Now, I do encourage you to joyfully follow elders who labor well in preaching and teaching, those who live according to the word of God and walk in humility. But don't ever, ever put your hope in men. Let me quickly give you the fifth characteristic of a godly pastor. A godly pastor is a a biblical thinker. We find this in verses 32 through 35. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I want you to see here the emphasis on the word of God. First, in verse 32, Paul commends the Ephesian elders to God and to the word of his grace. Paul has become convinced from Scripture that what people need to grow is not his presence and his wisdom and his gifts, but they need more of God and his word. Specifically, the word of his grace, which is what? The gospel. In this sense, the task of a pastor is is quite simple. This is why Spurgeon once defended his constant preaching of the gospel by saying this. My friends, this, this mindset is what you should long for in your elders. Spurgeon said, I received some years ago orders from my master to stand at the foot of the cross until he came. He has not come yet but I mean to stand there till he does. If I should disobey his orders and leave those simple truths which have been the means of the conversion of souls, I know not how I could expect his blessing. Here then I stand at the foot of the cross and tell out the old, old story, stale though it sound to itching ears and worn threadbare as critics may deem it, It is of Christ I love to speak. Of Christ who loved and lived and died, the substitute for sinners, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. A pastor's confidence should be in the word of God and his thinking should be shaped by God. The word of God. Notice again, verse 35, in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul looked at life through the eyes of Jesus. Through careful and committed study, his thinking had been pressed into scripture's mold. The 
The same should be true of any pastor. He should be so acquainted with the Word of God that he sees everything through the lens of Scripture. So even as Paul is instructing them, he says, you know, it's like Jesus said. It's like Jesus did. These aren't my own ideas, my own opinions. I'm just following the example of Jesus, obeying what he taught, and I now pass these on to you. This reminds me of what was once said about the 17th century Baptist author and pastor John Bunyan. It was said that he had read it till his very soul was saturated with Scripture. And though his writings are charmingly full of poetry, yet he cannot give us his Pilgrim's Progress, that sweetest of all prose, without continually making us feel and say, why, this man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere, his blood is bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul is full of the word of God. Pastors committed to the word of God and shaped by the word of God. Characteristic number six. A godly pastor is a humble servant. A godly pastor is a humble servant. We find this in verses 36 through 38. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. There was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. Being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Friends, in these final three verses, I think we see the humility of Paul. And I think we see his humility displayed in very specific ways. In fact, you've heard these statements many times. Let me give you three of them. Paul is desperate for God, isn't he? Paul is desperate for God. He bows before God and intercedes on behalf of his Ephesian brothers. Paul, as he served, was desperate for God. He was a man committed to prayer, pleading with the Holy Spirit to work in power. Now he knows everything he shared with these Ephesian elders, they cannot do in their own strength. And so as he departs from them, he's given them instruction. Now he kneels down with them and he intercedes for them. Paul is desperate for God. Notice also that Paul is dependent upon others. This is why there were tears. These brothers had served each other. They had grown to love and respect each other. So saying goodbye was painful. And it was difficult. Paul was desperate for God. He was dependent upon others. But Paul was determined to go. The mission was not done. There was more to do. 
You see, Paul was not his own. He was a glad and willing servant of King Jesus, so he would go wherever his king commanded. So he says goodbye, knowing that they will never see each other again, at least not this side of heaven. Brothers and sisters, if I had to sum up all the characteristics of a godly pastor and describe this biblical portrait in Acts 20, I think I would say that an elder is to be a shepherd. An elder is to be a shepherd. God's design is for his people to receive the loving care of the chief shepherd through the imperfect loving care of under shepherds. Outside of our text this morning, no other text captures this reality like 1 Peter 5. So in closing, let me just read this. And I want you to listen. And I hope. I hope this will become your prayer for the elders that God has put in your life. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray.